0: Hello, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film, and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by writer and director Mike Riander, the man behind 2021's superb The Mitchells vs. The Machines, hello mike hello thank you for thank you for having me i'm really excited thank you so much for for coming onto the show for you know it's uh it, it's great to have you on i was such a fan of mitchell's versus machines even though it is over 90 minutes long <laughs> it's it's way over 90 <laughs> minutes long I, I
1: it was funny when we were making that movie i was a teacher um and my students had to make films that were 90 seconds long and i would get so i like i love my students they're incredible they're like Now they work at Pixar and Disney and stuff. But at the time I was like, you just make it 90 seconds. Are you crazy? And then I would go to the edit bay and the executives would be like, make it 90 minutes, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you know, when my students would talk back, I'm like, you can figure it out. (laughs) But then when the executives told me, I was like, there's no way. It has to be two and a half hours long. You're out of your mind. Um, But uh, but I do think, you know, even though some people uh, find it too long, we, we, one thing that was interesting is that when we, we would shorten it, you know, cause, cause we'd be, it'd be like, you know, cause sort of every minute of animation is a lot of money and we would like try to squeeze it down. But the interesting thing about it and these Ghibli movies really show you that is if you don't let these moments breathe, then you kind of just like, you don't feel anything. You know, when a character gives another character this meaningful look, if it, if it like they look and then you cut you know, you know, an eighth of a second later, the audience isn't like, he's concerned. The audience is like, what? He looked at him.
0: "Uh, What's going on? Huh? Whenever we talk to filmmakers, there's always a much longer film behind the film that we get to see. And yes, you know, Mitchell's clocks in at 109. It it does absolutely fly by. But, you know, was there this, you know, sort of a three hour long version at one point in, you know, scripting and storyboarding (laughs) (laughs)
1: phase? I'm sort of addicted to both jokes and also emotional moments and both of them i'm like you need to stretch it out baby you know and and at a certain point it just becomes intolerable. you're like i've i've watched eight jokes in a row with no story and and then there's an eight minute long emotional scene like i need keep it moving um there are way longer cuts of the movie and like on the dvd It's just like you could see every scene that was cut and every joke that we loved that we had to kill. But ultimately, like, the movie gets so much better because, you know, I mean, in a a very brutal way, it's like Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who we work with. Phil is less like this. Chris is more like this. Like, Phil always wants to expand everything. Chris always wants to cut everything. And then in the middle, you make the movie is good. Chris is like, well, if you just have the good parts closer to each other then the audience will like the movie more. <laughs> it's like very simple, but it's, it's often true. It's like, look, if you have a bunch of B-plus jokes, cut out the B-pluses, leave the A's, and they'll think it's the funniest movie in the world. And it's the same for like the emotional moments. There's all these moments where it's like these little scenelets and stuff, and, and they, you know, you really are sitting there and you're like, this is adding meaning, you know, but oftentimes you just need to cut to the most direct ones. You know, it's like sometimes you just don't have room for all these extra stories and parts and stuff. And and so, you know, if it was a TV show, you could get into all that stuff. But um, but in a movie, it's it's you have to be a really tightly contained story, and and mostly about relationships.
0: I just love that I've seen this film, you know, not, not as much as you, but a number of times now I'm still <laughs> laughing and I'm still finding more details because you've got a whole family of characters. You can sort of hone in on each one, give them give them a moment. Even, you know, Monchi the dog, you know, you're like, he has moments.
1: <laughs> I know,
0: yeah, that was,
1: we had, and that's like speaking to stuff that got cut. We had a whole arc for Monchi where he's like, it was this whole thing about him wanting a hot dog and then he didn't. But, you know, it's, it's actually the thing that's funny about these gags in these movies is the ones that end up being sort of like emotionally or thematically resonant are the ones that end up sticking. Like we found that there was something like endearing about his eyes going in different directions that was sort of like the family's messed up, his eyes are messed up. You know, the family is trying to bring themselves together. He's trying to bring his eyes together. <laughs> and even though it's, it's really silly, subtle things like that end up tying the movie together better the jokes that stick and the moments that stick end up are the ones that are like, that that bring everything closer together instead of shooting everything out. Like we, you know, if you see the DVD, we have like hours of footage of like robot sitcoms. Like there was like, everybody loves Killbot and like Signbot 5000. And he's like, what's the deal with you know what is the deal with humans eating meat? You know, with hu- humans eating the flesh of other animals, and it just like ultimately, when you watch the movie, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is just a weird sketch comedy skit in the middle of in the middle of like a, an otherwise cogent or coherent movie.
0: I know it's a film that you've been with for a long time. You've been working on it for for quite a while. But you know, this film came out in I think April 2021. What, what's it like now? We're recording this, you know, almost a year after release. What's it like now that the film is out there and and people are, you know, incredibly familiar with the characters. I've seen amazing fan art online. You know, people, Katie Mitchell is this icon, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, it feels amazing. Um, Like, to, to be honest, because for I would say, you know, we were working on this movie for years, five years. And for the whole time, if you're working on a movie or show that hasn't come out yet, Everyone kind like everyone is like, Oh yeah, you're working on that thing. Huh? Okay. And they, it's, it's not like they don't believe you, but it's like emotionally it's different, you know, like talking to people at parties, they're like, is that thing ever going to come out? Like, what's the, what's the deal? And you are like, no, 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 we're actually making it. So it's, 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 it's really nice both, you know, so <laughs> when I'm talking to my parents, friends, I can point to something, <laughs> um, but also you know mostly just because it it has really connected with people and that was like you know our wildest dream was that it would like you know allow parents and kids to one have something to watch together that would be a blast cuz like some of the best memories i have as a kid is like watching christmas vacation or something with my parents and we're like quoting it later and it's like it's like a moment of unity for the whole family and then also you know to ideally have kids and parents see each other's side of things more you know and it, and it's there have been some people not a lot but there have been some people who are like I reconnected with my dad based on this movie and it's like my heart explodes with joy um because it's sort of like it's really nice that it could mean that somebody because you know it is just a bunch of flickering lights on a on a screen <laughs> and it's also just like a real testament to the team because you know it's like it's easy to say you know this, you know, the movie we're talking about today, it's easy to say like, oh, it was made by this auteur director. And it is, but it's also made by every single person who touches it. And they all have to be functioning at a high level for a movie to be great.
0: So when you when you're not busy making, you know, wonderful films like Sisters and machines and you get some free time, you know, do you do you watch a move, watch movies? Are you a big film fan in your in your spare time?
1: Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I've really I will say that le- like Letterbox is one of the greatest contributors to my film watching because it's like, oh, it's like a game. I get to fill out a checklist, you know, because it's like, I really love, like, watching movies is one of my favorite things in the world. It's like, during the pandemic, it was like, I really missed how much I missed. I I, I couldn't believe how much I missed doing it. And then when things opened back up again, I was like in the movie theater like 10 times a week because <laughs> I was like, this might not last. So I, I love watching movies and I, I really, I really enjoy trying to see all the classics and trying to see all these like deep dives and like, what are the Coen brothers' favorite movies? And, oh, that movie is inspired by this movie and, and just sort sort of going down rabbit holes because like you just find out amazing stuff and you get inspired by amazing stuff. And it really like, I think opens up your whole cinematic world. And that, that was like, honestly, one of the things we we're trying to do with Mitchell's, some some things we we got and some things we didn't was that sometimes American animation is sort of, aurora boros ish it's sort of like oh well they you know they did this in fox and the hound and now they're doing it again and now they're doing it in 20 years later and we wanted to pull from stuff that was from really you know kubrick movies and dogma 95 movies and you know documentaries and and that sort of stuff and some of it you could see more than others you're not like watching it and you're
0: like this is just like dancer in the dark or you know <laughs> this is this the celebration i can't tell when you're, uh, you know, at the decision making process, maybe, you know, looking at the showtimes at your local movie theater or, you know, the back of the DVDs on your on your shelf, does the runtime ever come into your decision making process? All the time, every day. I mean, like
1: it, it's I have this sort of like um, list of like all of my favorite, uh, you know, all these movies that I that are sort of like big blind spots that people have told me are great or that I really want to see or that I somehow never got around to. And I, I have burnt out. It's like 200 movies. And I have burnt out all of the under 90 movies, 90 minute movies, because I'm like, well, I got 90 minutes. But I'm, I like look at like, you know, the human condition. It's like, you know, three and a half hour long Japanese movie. And I'm like, maybe oh, maybe, maybe not today. Maybe not today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally the same. I've got um, all of my like recent purchases are above our TV on the shelf. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, what do you want to watch tonight? We've got 20 films to choose from. There's no under 90 minute films on the shelf anymore. Like these yeah. are all like legacy, the two hour and a half ones. Like, we'll get to yep. Ran. I want to watch. Yes, Ran. yes, exactly. The 4K yeah. Blu-ray is probably really nice, but it's three it's, hours. Hey, long. it's a beautiful movie,
1: <laughs> but you know, it's hard. It's 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 you know, especially when you know, you know, everything's streaming and you're like, it's just like you, your attention span. You know, I really feel like my attention span has truly shrunk you know, in the past 10 years or something. Cause I would be like, I'll watch Magnolia on a weekend. And now I'm like, oh, Magnolia is really long. Um, it's great, but I, I, it's, it's hard. It's like, I had to really set aside some time because that's, that's another thing about watching movies from home that you I really appreciate about going to see movies in a theater. Like I saw Drive My Car in a theater. It's like three and hours long and 11 minutes. And it's like so nice to just be locked in, you know? Like, I feel like if you try to watch that movie at home, you wouldn't be able to, something would interrupt you. And even this movie I watched in two chunks, which is not ideal. So, so I do think that like having the movies be shorter, sort of more ensures that you're gonna watch it all at once and experience it the way that, you know, the author did.
0: When we reached out, you know, to ask you to come on the show, how, how did you go about making your decision of, of what film you'd like to contribute to our film festival?
1: Oh, I just, um again, it was like Letterboxd, which I have a secret Letterboxd. No one will ever know. Um, <laughs> my horrible my horrible opinion crimes are uh, <laughs> hidden from the world. But I just basically took my favourite hundred or so movies and just lifted them by time. People had taken a lot of great ones. I truly think that... um. The one I picked is like maybe the greatest animated film of all time. Um, So considering I'm in animation and I know far more about it than I do about live action, I, I thought I'd talk about
0: that. So Mike, what film did you choose for us today?
1: I picked Grave of the Fireflies, one of my favorite movies of all time and
0: maybe the best animated. Set in Japan during World War II, The film focuses on Sata and his little sister, Setsuko, after their mother is killed in an air raid. With their father serving in the Navy, they are forced to fight for survival in the devastated Japanese countryside. Food and shelter are scarce, and even their own relatives are too concerned with their own survival. All they have is each other, and their belief that life must carry on. Spoilers afoot! If you have not seen Grave of the Fireflies, please pause the show, Go and watch it. It's 89 minutes long. Come on back and and we'll we'll have have a nice chat. There's also a quote here, Roger but It belongs on any list of the greatest war films ever made. God, a wonderful film. And and hugely, um, you know, it's got lots of fans uh, out there. It's one of those weird films, though, in terms of uh, listeners maybe trying to get hold of it and watch it. A lot of the Ghibli the catalog is on Netflix, and I think it might be HBO Max in the States. Yeah, Over here, not. at least, Grave of the Fireflies is the one film that is not on Netflix. So you have to buy the physical one.
1: And I, I sort of was going to watch it, and then I downloaded it, and the, I heard the most haunting sound you can hear when you're about to watch a, a studio Ghibli movie, which is an American voice. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, no, I listened. I, I accidentally bought the dub. So I I, I watched it on YouTube um, with, with subtitles, which it is on YouTube. Um, if, if anybody out there wants to watch it. Um, and it's, I will warn you, it's devastating, but it's also, um, it's like truly visceral, emotional experience that you'll, kind of never forget and I agree with I really agree with Roger Ebert like I read his I read his review before we did this because it's like you know you see a lot of war films and I had never connected to any of them because I'm like the soldiers and I'm like I'm not a soldier I'm never and they're in war and they're fighting and killing and I'm like I, I just could never understand that it all felt so abstract to me but this when I'm seeing a, a boy and his and his and his little sister, and she's on his shoulders, and there's like he's like looking around, and his mom is there, and the there are bombs falling on his home. Like it, I had never felt like, honestly, had never felt the horrors of war in a way that I really understood until I saw this movie. And it was, and it's animated, and it's so visceral. Like I also think too, it's like when you see, and again, spoilers. Please watch the movie if you see this, but. But that first 30 minutes or the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or so that ends with the mom in bandages and you see her cracked lips, like is like one of the most devastating things I've ever seen in my life. Because Partially because it's animated. Because you're sort of used to, oh, animation, they kind of sand off the rough edges and they're like, no, we are going to draw every crack on her lips and every bump and red, indentation on her nose because she's horribly burned in a thing. And, and it like, it really like took my breath away. And that's one of the things that's sort of like a magic trick about this movie and all the studio Ghibli movies. But I think this is what was one of the very best in just that it's like so observational and it puts you in that moment with these small details that if you're not paying attention, you would never notice. But like, since I've sort of done animation, I know how hard it is to put in these moments. Like, how much care they take in in sort of rendering the little girl riding up on his shoulders and the, the way he's like shifting his weight and the way he like turns and runs and the fact that he like slowly puts his shoelaces on, it all just like puts you in the reality of the moment in a way that like up until the, this movie, it's like Studio Ghibli movies are some of the only ones that do it. And another, uh, just a, one more small moment of this is is like, this this like knocked me out. And it, it it it's not the type of thing that you would really think about, but like when she's pouring out the fruit candies and there's three fruit candies stuck together and a little shard of candy dust that came out. It's so thoughtful because it's like when you're, if you just are filming that on a set, you're like, oh, that's how they came out. That's real. That's what would happen. But you really have to sort of stop and think and look so deeply at the world around you and sort of make that decision of like, what's gonna make this feel real and what's gonna make this feel, like put the audience in that place and and those like candies stuck together for some reason just like put me there. And I'm like, whoa, they're running out of candy. It's just the shards. They're drinking the candy syrup with water. Like, oh my God. And all those little details, like I always talk about it. Like when I was like a teacher, that like when you're watching a movie, there's this distance between you and the movie, and the, the these Ghibli movies just shatter that distance, like, and they just pull you closer and closer and closer until you're like one millimeter away from the screen, and you're like experiencing these moments with these people. I don't know, it's it's it it, it really knocks me out.
0: This film does such a good job of you know, making this situation incredibly relatable. You know, I can't yes, dream totally. of anything as horrendous as what the characters are going through in this film, but because it's focusing on that micro-relationship, that brother and yeah. sister relationship, it, it, you're, you're just so invested, you know? Yes, And, totally. and I think with uh, Grave of the Fireflies, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big animation fan. I'll watch anything. Some of my friends sometimes are a bit resistant to it. They're like, oh, it's, is it for kids? I'm not sure. I'm not going to watch this. And yeah. we had a friend who had never seen uh, a studio ghibli film before she loved it and i was like that's that's amazing you know this felt this is your first uh you know animation as an adult this is your first studio ghibli film and it's drawn you in and she was just like it's that relationship between the brother and sister well and, and
1: another incredible thing about it related to that is like that relationship is so strong and you care and love these characters so much like i i you know we wrote you know, our movie Mitchell's at, a, at this big studio and, and, you know, everyone has read save the cat and story by Robert McKee. And they're like, these are the things you need to do to make a story work. And it's like, this movie doesn't do any of that shit. <laughs> like any, I'm sorry. If I can't swear, I'll stop. <laughs> um, But like this movie doesn't do any of that. It is just, it is just, a really, like they make you fall in love with these, this, these characters in this relationship And they're just trying to survive and that's all the movie is and i and i think another reason some a reason why because like we're hyping it up as being devastating but this movie is not without lots of joy which actually kind of makes it more heartbreaking because you're you, you know the whole time the movie opens with him saying i am dead and and which is like a really powerful opening for a film like this but you get to experience the brother and the sister trying to make the best of their situation trying to play games by the beach and and trying to sort of forget about the fact that their mom is dead, and like the fact that they're engaging with this joy makes the heartbreaking stuff so much more real. Because I think we've all seen these movies that are these dirges, where it's like they're like the movie is like feel bad, you know what I mean? And and I do think that by having the characters experience joy and happiness and love and and life, that when that is taken away, it's just I I, I watch this movie like um like a like a mom in a war zone or something i'm like i have my hands over my head and i'm like leaning in and i have my my fingers in my mouth i'm like you know like a cartoon you know <laughs> character you know biting his nails or whatever because i'm just so worried about these characters even though i know what happens
0: it's full of hope as well like you, you're in terms of like you're hoping these guys will get out of it okay yes. even though you're right we were presented at the beginning with the outcome of the film but the film draws you in and you kind of forget that and you're yes, still rooting totally. for them that's the magic trick A narrative of movie is like they're on this sinking iceberg, you know, it's just shrinking all around all of their opportunities. They're constantly grifting. You know, ah, I've got a jar of pickled foods that I can go and feed the family with. I've got, you know, the kimonos I can sell for some money. And like there's all of these you know, best intentions, but reality is just, you know, really extreme. And and even, you know, this this hope of these children can't quite beat the situation they're in. But you're still rooting with them. You're like, yes, do that. Make the most totally. of it. Drink the candy syrup. Yes. That is going to be a joyous <laughs> moment for you both. Totally. And when they bring in the fireflies,
1: that's like one of the most beautiful scenes in any movie. You know, they bring the fireflies into their tent and it's like, it's so wonderful. But also the other thing that's cool about, about Takahata is that he'll undercut it a little bit because it's not all sweet. Like after they do the fireflies, it's this really dazzling moment. And it could be this kind of like fakey movie moment but there's a moment afterwards where the boy is just kind of cold and lonely and he tries to sort of like huddle up with his sister. And it's just like, get off me. I'm hot. You know? And it's like, that moment is so real. Cause like you've, I think everyone with like a nephew or a little brother or something has had that moment where you're like kind of trying to reach out and they're like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> and it's, and it's just like, you know, the kid's not like, this isn't this beacon of hope and purity. It's just a little kid, you know? And, and and there's so many moments like that that are so nice because the Setsuko, the sister, is so sweet. But, she, you know, she's, she could be a pain in the butt and, and, and she's, like, crying at points. and But it's so understandable, too, because, like, her mom is dead and everyone's pretending like she isn't, but, you know, kids are smart. And, and that moment was really brutal and, and beautiful when she's, like, burying the firefly and she's like, it's just like mom. And he's like, you know? And she's like, yeah. My aunt told you know, our aunt told us. The aunt, by the way! one of the greatest, one of the biggest villains in cinema history. This woman is a monster.
0: you feel like they, they, uh, it's, I guess it's like you know as an experienced film watcher you should know because of when she's introduced she's not the saviour but yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, safety you know a relative going to bring them in a grown-up who knows exactly what to do of course because all grown-ups definitely know what to do and uh, and yeah you're like just one of the, <laughs> the meanest characters and, <laughs> and I, I guess in you know when people talk about Studio Ghibli they always think of especially the Miyazaki work the fantasy the dragons and the, the creatures but like you know she is one of their Greatest villains. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, and and it's it's also interesting. I mean, it also does that Studio Ghibli thing where there is, you know, she. I do hate her when I'm watching, but there is also that little bit of nuance where it's like, well, she's taking care of them and they are kind of a pain in the ass. But Jesus Christ, have a little hope. And then, but then also on the other side, the boy Sita, he doesn't. He could he could go back crawling on, and everyone's like, "Hey, go back to your aunt. Just say you're sorry." And he's like. Mm like that's gonna work and maybe he's right and it would just be a disaster but maybe he's wrong and he could have saved his sister's life like it, it it makes you think about that stuff and and one of my friends actually told me that he's like oh i think this is like a metaphor for japan and world war ii and how they sort of refused help and stuff and i couldn't it sounded plausible i sort of looked around online to see if that sort of held any weight the most thing i could find was that takahata Sort of said that it wasn't an anti-war film, which is uh, patently absurd, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that he said it was sort of like about. I think I think to both him and the author, which I think is tr- comes across in the movie, and and sort of is one of the things that makes it interesting is that that it's about it's so, like they kind of see the boy as being selfish and and see him as sort of being like representative of of like a this sort of like disrespectful kid, but it's the movie clearly has so much love for him that that i don't i don't see that you know i i just see this boy put in a horrible situation trying his best um and and not figuring it out and cuz the movie is like you know from his perspective as a ghost you know looking looking at all of his decisions and i so understand that you know it's like when something bad happens you start questioning everything you're like should i have gone back to my aunts would she have taken us in? It probably would have been fine. Maybe she could have given us medicine or food or something. Crap. You know, so it's like, I, I really understand that. But but the, the the nuance of it is really, I think is really one of the things that's wonderful about it because it's not this didactic anti-war film. It, it sort of dodges those tropes and just becomes a film about two humans. And then you could kind of draw your own conclusions from it. And like Takahata is drawing this conclusion about, you know, the selfishness of, the younger generation or something, and it was just insane, um, I think, but, um, but you know, and I take away from it just sort of like the hell of war and these people put in this really horrible situation and trying to make the best of it. It strikes me as a giant anti-war parable. I really do think that I'm like a, a little bit of a optimist and, and maybe insanely blindly optimistic, but just I do really think that art helps in those ways. For example, uh, I do think like art can subtly shift minds and shifted minds could shift the world, you know? And, you know, cause I do think that there's stuff like, you know, I, I remember my mom seeing Brokeback Mountain just because she thought Jake Gillenthal was cute or whatever. And it really, I think was the first time she ever like saw gay people existing and like loving and being humans and not being like some other, you know, wacky side character or something. And she's like, oh my God. You know, and I think it made her, it's sort of like, you know, I do think that, that, that movies at their best are kind of like empathy machines. And like, and I think this is one of the best empathy machines I've ever seen.
0: Do you remember when you first watched Grave of the Fireflies?
1: Yes. Uh, The first time I saw it was not that long ago. It was about, because I was kind of late to Studio Ghibli movies. I had seen Totoro at a really young age. And Totoro was the first piece of art that made me cry because it was so beautiful. It wasn't because of the story or the sad part happened. I was just like looking at a uh, leaf go down a stream and just like tears started just like spraying out of my eyes I mean that's not how tears happen but um <laughs> but but it was it was it was really it was really emotional but for some reason I sort of thought I think sometimes you're like well you know Totoro's the good one Miyazaki those are all bangers man like Castle Cogliostro Nausicaa like Porco Rosso like are these ones where you're like that I'm sure this one's terrible it's incredible <laughs> you know like and and same with Takahata. Takahata, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the one with the raccoons of the tanukis, with the
0: yeah, Poko. but,
1: but I mean, I think only yesterday is incredible. And I think Whisper of the Heart is one of my favorite movies. And that's the character designer of this movie. Uh, <sighs> Yoshi, Fum, Yoshi Fumi Kondo also made that movie. And, and it really, I I, 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 to me, the, the, these movies are really the gold standard in animation where you, where it's like, Te- teachers always used to say this to me and i never understood it and I, I maybe i understand it now which is just like they're really looking and seeing the world and portraying it as they see it and and because it's animation their own sort of like opinion of every object like here's what an acorn looks like and i think acorns are like sumptuous and and they look delicious so i'm going to draw them a little extra fat and you know like and and it's like everything in the movie is like that like the, you could tell the artist thinks blowing grass is really beautiful because it's so sensitively portrayed or and 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 like all of the movies have that magic and it's so hard to do. I will say like like the acting choices that are in these movies they're so hard to think of because like you know you've seen animated movies I I will do this on an audio podcast where the character's holding up their finger and they're like, I have an idea. Or, you know, the character puts his hand to his ear because he hears something. It's like, if you saw someone acting like that in real life, you'd be like, get a, get a gun, shoot him. This <laughs> needs to be taken down. <laughs> but, but, if, but like, so in like real life, you know, characters are kind of fidgeting and, and moving back and forth in their chair. And there's a moment where that little girl uh, won't answer a question. And she's just looking down and she's kind of moving her shoulders back and forth subtly. And it's like something I've never seen in a movie before, but I have seen my nieces and nephews do when they're like uncomfortable and they're like, uh, uh, and like just seeing all of that stuff, the, the, the Ghibli artists, like seeing all of that reality and putting it on screen so sensitively and delicately is really, I think what puts these movies above, you know, that makes them some of the greatest animated movies of all time and some of the greatest movies of all
0: I think they bring that humanity in as well, like, you know, the relationship with food, especially, as you mentioned. I think there's so many, like, famous Ghibli food scenes. Um, people always remember, you know, the the sad parts and the, the human parts. But, uh, yeah, I feel like, the especially under Miyazaki and Takahata, like, they just get the humans right in their yes, films, totally. you know, and, and the really Oops. relatable things. You know, you, you were talking, even little details. It's um, on repeat viewing, you do notice, like, that's a very authentic shoe tying. <laughs> um, oh, no, his <laughs> trousers totally. are falling down a little bit. Like, I could get that and it's 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 you know again extra time and resource to do those things but it it makes this sort of timeless film i think and Grave of the fireflies is uh, like over 30 years old now but it still feels really fresh and cutting edge
1: 100 percent. i feel like this movie could have been made yesterday you know like and it's in in certain ways like you know I, i i sometimes i get sort of grumpy about people sort of like bemoaning the old ways and sometimes like because I, 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 I've I been a storyboard artist before and they used to do storyboards on on a wall where you draw with sharpie on a little sheet of paper and then you would pin it to the wall and then you'd pin up 100 drawings in on a wall and you'd take a stick and you'd point to one and you'd you'd like pitch out the scene and all there's so many artists are like ah oh, we missed those days I'm like those days were terrible <laughs> <laughs> I mean they weren't terrible but it's so much extra work and if you're watching it on a screen and somebody's clicking through, you get a better idea of what the actual experience is going to be like. But I do think there's something that's irreplicatable about what the Ghibli artists are doing in this movie where, and again, it's like this, I I just noticed all these little examples, but there's some, there's a, there's a shot of Sita or Shita looking out and he's at the very bottom of the screen. He's like, he's like tying up a rope around his hand. And like you can barely see it, but like because he's moving and he's sort of he's got this like secondary action where he's sort of like you just see him thinking, it just makes you feel like he's alive. Um and that that like magic trick is so hard to pull off and, and these movies do it so well that that it is, you know, even though I I I respect you know, a movie like the the new Ghibli movie that's 3D animated and, and what they're trying to do. It's just, it doesn't, it's not the same.
0: They've got such great form with the hand-drawn style and, and it's just weird when it's different, you know? Yes. <laughs> and we've waited so long, I guess, because of what the studio has been going through, uh, you know, shutting down and reopening again. Like, we've waited a long time and I kind of want to see another... Hand drawn animation, please. Yeah, <laughs> please carry on and make make things like *Eragon* the witch. <laughs> but um, can we give us give us one of the bangers first? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but I think I guess we're getting some more of that uh, soon with uh, Miyazaki's uh, latest final film. Hopefully, <laughs> oh, I have you seen the have you seen, have
1: you seen the Kingdom of Dreams and Magic mm-hmm. oh, I or love the that Kingdom film. of King, Dreams and Mad- Madness is, is a better title. It's so amazing, like just that that Miyazaki is the stoic, poetic like misanthrope and he makes these movies that are just like love and life are bursting out of them. And then you see this like quiet man in a room like filmmaking is suffering. <laughs> yeah. Why do I do this? The world is the world is trash. <laughs> but I'm like, you obviously don't think that. Look at all your movies. And he's like, I don't know, this is, this is all, this is all, this is all uh, garbage.
0: I, I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I feel like they're such harsh critics. Like the, in interviews, you see Miyazaki talking about his son Gorō Miyazaki, yeah, and you know, and he's like, he's not quite there yet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like you just wrote and produced your son's film, and know uh, yeah, for three well, years. Have you seen Gorō Miyazaki's first movie, Tales from Mercy? Yeah,
1: it's Tales from Mercy. The first scene in the first movie features a young boy killing his father, the <laughs> king, which is like a real it's like i i get you i get you goro you're just getting some stuff i I understand where you're coming from
0: (laughs) oh wow yeah god i that's um i didn't spot that deeper meaning (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's funny because all these movies
1: they really end up being like wildly autobiographical even though my movie was sort of like intentionally autobiographical it's funny when you get to know the cartoonists who make you know, I sort of am friendly with people that make shows and stuff and like all of their shows are just their own psyche laid bare. (laughs) Like, oh, you have issues with your dad and here we go. And you know, this thing, and you know, you're, you know, you, you had an ex-girlfriend and that's this character. And you know, like it's, it's really funny because you're working on these movies for so long and you, you think that you're like hiding it all. You're like ah, no one will be able to tell, <laughs> um, and sometimes they don't because they don't care. But um, but sometimes like that Miyazaki one, it's like oh, Goro, man, I feel for you, buddy.
0: <laughs> I'm really pleased to have Grave of the Fireflies in our film festival. I, we've got My Neighbor Totoro, and and um, originally in Japan they were released as a double bill. One of the one of the most like amazing
1: decisions of like one of the most amazing triumphs of art over business of all time. It's absolute madness to release them on the same day it's the dumbest business decision they could have done but they were like no the art will be better and they did it anyway i am like i i, I just want to show every executive at every studio this like look these are the two <laughs> greatest animated movies of all time they came out on the same day because they knew the the, the these two geniuses would try to beat each other um it, it it's it's Uh, uh, I'm sorry, but I I had to highlight that because that's one of my favorite things in the
0: world. We're going to put on Grave of the Fireflies at our film festival. This is the second Ghibli film in our our lineup. We've got some really great animations, but only two Ghibli films so far. Mike, I can give you a blank check to realize your perfect theatrical screening. I don't know if there's a cinema or maybe a location you'd like to choose to show it to an audience. That is a great question. It's hard because
1: the double bill is really what to do. So, I mean, I think I would do, I would just do a double bill of um, of Gravy, the Fireflies and Totoro. And in my dreams, Miyazaki would be there and he would tell me that I'm wonderful. <laughs> he's like, I saw your film. It is a triumph. <laughs> he comes with his DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's like, can you sign my DVD? <laughs> no, I was actually thinking of what Miyazaki would think of our movie. And it, it's like, I think he'd like the, I think he'd like some of the backgrounds Lindsay did a great job, and it's very observed. But I, I, I just think of the time when he watched that 3D thing, and it's like this is an insult to oh, life yeah. <laughs> itself. I think he might drop one of those if he saw our movie. But, um, but no, uh, it would be, it would be maybe, maybe it's maybe it's a double bill at the Miyazaki Museum. Everyone's there. All of the filmmakers and artists who were there. Maybe some of the lesser known artists, um, like uh, Nizo Yamamoto, who did the backgrounds, could sort of be celebrated a little bit more, because I think it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's so easy to think of like a Miyazaki movie and Miyazaki is the guy, you know, and it, and it takes so many people to make these movies. So, so maybe a celebration of the crew that's sort of, um, that's sort of still around. I think you, you got to start with Grave of the Fireflies because you can't end with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, you sort of, you build up everyone's in tears and then you show Totoro and then it's just this explosion of joy. And then every, all the kids can run around at the uh, museum afterwards.
0: It's a bit like what we talked about with the pacing of, of Mitchells. You know, you have like, you know, a nice family moment, a bit, a bit heartfelt. And then we'll have some gags. Then we'll, yeah you know, exactly we'll get Munchy on the scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll all we'll be laughing. I think that'd be really nice. Maybe after Grave of the Fireflies, we'll have like, you know, just like a 15 minute, you know, break. People can stretch their legs, contemplate life.
1: Well, and then you, you kind of fire up the popcorn machine. Popcorn's not great at Grave of the Fireflies. You're just like people eating milk duds, you know, while, you know, brutal uh <laughs> brutal
0: reality is unfolding in front of them give everyone a, a tin of yeah like a tin of sweets to take in with a tin them? of sweets yeah. that's good that's uh, smart and they nice you know some of them maybe will know the context and some won't but when it happens in the film they'll be like ah oh, I get it
1: yeah 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 that's good i like that also sweets are quiet so you can kind of suck on one without like
0: you know, like you know, crunching, crunching, no sort of rustling yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah, I think Miyazaki also would approve of that. I don't imagine he is like a popcorn guy. Yeah, I don't think
1: so either. <laughs> like I, I, I like a giant cherry coke and uh, yeah. I put the milk <laughs> in the popcorn because I like it when they melt. Like I, I, I don't imagine that he's doing that.
0: Well, that sounds like a dream screening. And uh, that that museum is so nice. I don't know if you've been to the um, Ghibli Museum. No, I, I
1: there was there was a point at which when I was actually working really hard on Mitchell's where I would say 20 to 45 of my closest animator friends were like, I'm in Tokyo at the Ghibli Museum. And I'm like burning with envy, like, no. And I was supposed to actually go to uh, Japan after the movie was over, but then you know things got shut down and stuff. So um, hopefully as things open back up again, I'll be able to go. That's a dream.
0: Thank you so much for, for talking to us today, Mike. I I, I would love that we have Grave of the Fireflies in our festival.
1: It was an absolute delight. Everyone, if you haven't watched, you know, if you haven't watched it, please watch it. It's it's a real experience, and and honestly, one of the best animated movies you'll ever see, and one of the best movies
0: and mitchell's Sisters machines is available on a lovely dvd blu-ray but it's on netflix like right now and right if you're now. listening in the uk you could watch a load of Ghiblies. you could go to mitchell's machines check it out yeah it's award season as we're recording nominated for an oscar like incredible nominated for a bafta incredible. amazing congratulations on those no it's wild um hey if, any, uh, <laughs> if
1: anyone's listening out there who hasn't voted yet check it out um no, you know not making any suggestions but uh <sighs> Um, no, uh, it, it's, it's really, it's, I, it, I mean, it's really beyond our sort of wildest dreams. You know, w- w- when, when we made the movie, we we're just hoping, you know, it's like kind of like you're making this like message in a bottle and you sort of throw it out and you hope anyone reads it or g- g- it means something to them. And, and, it, and it's, it's been really wild that, um, that it's been sort of honored like that. And I, I'm just so happy for the crew who like made the movie. You know it's 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 like I think especially from being on the inside, it's like these movies are made by hundreds of people, you know, and it's easy to abstract that because it's hard to think about that, but it's like every single shot, like nine people did their damnedest to make that great, you know um and and I'm sure that's exactly how you know that's exactly how these ghibli movies are too but it's it's i'm just so happy for them cuz they did such an awesome job and i could i could i could build my own statue to those people so uh i'm really i'm really
0: happy that we got You've got those really nice end credits in the movie as well, which sort of highlights, you know, the people. They're the best. They're not just names on a screen. You show photos and the childhood photos are is so nice. It's not just the films, you know, the voice actors, but you've got the whole, you know, producers and all the heads of departments. It's really nice to see that stuff. And that reminds you, humans made this movie. And I've I have heard from people, especially
1: animators, of like the you've made the emotional climax of your movie, the credits. <laughs> 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 and, you know, I think especially for animators, they thought it was really nice because Because it's like, sometimes you, you know, when I was making Mitchells, I would watch the credits of animated movies and then like the production designer's name would be like the size of an ant on the screen. And I'm like, the he did like half the movie. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Like I get so, I would get so stressed out because I'm like, that person probably worked for years and all they get is this little thing. The company that made the credits, it's a really great company, Picture Mill. And I was like, I want the names as big as humanly possible like make them outside of the screen and they're like well we'll do our best
0: it's really paid off and say so, really appreciate you taking time out your day to uh, to talk to us about about this film thank you so much thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or, if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we'll be back in a couple of weeks we're a proud member of the stripped media network